I'm Victoria, and this podcast is all about running, marathon training, and run coaching. It is packed with useful tips to help you grow as a runner. I am a 13-time Boston qualifier and mom of two who started running as an adult. I learned a lot on my journey, and in 2014, I launched an online run coaching business to help other runners. Now, we employ several run coaches and are one of the largest online run coaching companies. We teach you the secrets to reaching your potential in the sport of running. We give real talk discussing personal stories of injuries, setbacks, and PRs. Think of this as a conversation with serial marathoners who share the lessons that we learned along the way. This is the Run for PRs podcast. What is the progressive overload principle and how it can transform your training as an athlete? It's that time of year again where a lot of people recently set New Year's resolutions and it can be very tempting to want to go all in on a new plan or a brand new type of training because after months of maybe not doing as much as we were doing with all of the holidays and the winter months, we often feel like we need to do something really big and different to either motivate us or to spark some change within us. But the truth is that this is often not the best approach. We want to talk a little bit about what the progressive overload is today and why sometimes doing less will actually lead to more optimal results in the long run. The reality is that more is not always better. Sometimes it's just more and sometimes it's actually detrimental to our long-term success and progress. So in today's episode, we're going to be talking about some key topics that fall under the umbrella of the progressive overload principle. The first thing we're going to talk about is how often we see people overtraining. Um, a lot of times people come to run for PRs because they're looking for a way to either break through, start making progress, avoid injury. There's a number of reasons that people want to work with a coach or just follow a more customized training plan. And sometimes in the history of some of these athletes, they do have some overtraining. So we'll talk a little bit about what we see um, coming in from other people, maybe warning signs to look out for what it maybe looks like in terms of training and maybe what happens long term. Then we're going to talk a little bit about how we know what the right amount of stress is. And so as a coach, one of our jobs is to make sure that you're not doing too much and you're not doing too little. We want you to progress at the right pace um, and it can really be like a fine balance. So we're going to talk about how a coach can help really assess the right amount of stress and how sometimes it does take a little bit of a learning curve to kind of figure that out. And we'll also talk about how you as an athlete, maybe you don't work with a coach or you don't want to, um, you can actually assess this for yourself and just some key variables to look at. Then next, we're going to be talking about why people maybe don't like to do less. So there's a little bit of psychology there. We do live in a go, go, go hustle society. And so there is a little bit of that that can often play into people not liking the idea of doing less and not wanting to do the progressive overload principle. And then next, we're going to be talking about can you still improve by doing more than you should? So some people might be listening to this and thinking, okay, that's that's great. I can do less and still improve, but I don't care. I want to continue to do more um, and what that's actually going to look like and what that will do to you long term. So it's actually not beneficial. And we're going to talk about what will happen in the future. So just diving straight into things, um, I know you're taking on a few new trials recently, Jason, and you've had a lot of athletes coming in the past, and how often is it that you see people that have a history of overtraining? Is it more of like a 50-50 split, or is it something that's not really as common as we think it is? Mm-hmm. I think on the topic of overtraining, as a whole, you know, the percentage of athletes that I maybe see are a bit less than you might think. It might only be like 15, 20% of athletes, what I consider overtraining. Um, and then 
the you know the rest of the athletes i would say about it's about 50 50 in terms of like they're either under training or just making like training errors or um, mm. they're just not being challenged enough within their own training so they might be consistent um, they just aren't really quite doing the right workouts so that's kind of how i can't classify most people are in like one of those three camps but i think the overtraining camp is probably the least likely um you know there are some athletes that i get on occasion that are running maybe they're just doing like um too many miles and that's not allowing them to really you know dial into faster paces on their workouts because they have heavy legs all the time you know that sort of thing and so by reducing mileage a little bit we can get more uh, out of their training in that in that aspect so um i think i think um the reason people might overtrain is they, they have that fear right of like losing fitness or just yeah they're not going to be gaining fitness as quickly unless they're running for you know whatever it is an hour every day or six days a week or you know whatever level they're at right and i really liked how you mentioned that it's really it's really not all too common that you see someone just across the board making all of the training errors all at once right so um there could be like blatant overtraining where you see someone where you're like okay you are definitely doing way too much and there's a number of things Mm -hmm. you could point at but i think um, as a coach one of the things i like to do is try to like isolate because there are certain things that some people do where you know, it's not it's not blatantly like super bad, but over time these are things that build up and they maybe are holding you back. And so I like the example that you use of maybe just running too many miles or maybe running too many miles like in that gray zone and not allowing enough time to do a specific workouts. And so what that's gonna be doing is you're actually not getting the right stress stimuli. So you're not mm-hmm. doing any hard workouts. And what that's gonna do is actually make you slower over time because you need to be stressing the right systems to lower your threshold, lower your VO2 max in order to get faster as an athlete. And so you see a lot of people, they get caught up in that mileage trap or maybe they're doing a lot of their runs um, at an easy pace or gray zone pace. And the truth of the situation is, like you said, maybe the legs are just too tired and they um, opt out of the workout days. And so you really want to build um, the training plan so it's really polarized. And what that's going to look like is having 80% of your runs be at, or 80% of your weekly mileage be at an easy pace, and then 20% being at those um, harder effort paces that we're stressing threshold VO2 max to elicit changes there. Um, Other things that I often see will be like the long runs too long. So I totally get it, right? Like we're all really busy. Most people work um, the standard like calendar week, Monday, Friday, nine to five. um, And that can be really tough to get in the mileage that you need during the week. And so sometimes what people will do is maybe they get a handful of runs in a week or maybe it's really hit or miss. And then on the weekend, they do this ultra long run and it maybe doesn't look that long on paper. Maybe this person is a serial marathoner or they've done several half marathons and the long run doesn't look too long on paper, right? Like maybe it's a 13 mile long run and you've done a bunch of marathons, but what it's lacking is the supportive miles during the week. And so if you're putting all of the stress on one day, you are spending basically the rest of the week either recovering from that or just not being consistent enough where you are actually elicit change so that your body is getting the correct training that it needs to actually get faster. And so while yes, doing a 13 miler on the weekend is better than not doing anything, you might actually be benefiting more from having that consistency strung out throughout the week and then um, having a long run on the weekend. And so maybe that's not a sign of overtraining, maybe that's more a sign of like undertraining, but mm-hmm. when you have a, a long run on the weekend that is longer than what your weekly mileage supports, sometimes that can be you know, more on the camp of overtraining. And I think there's a quote by, I want to say it's Sarah Hall, who said there's no such thing as overtraining. It's just under recovery. And that could be something (laughs) that we talk about on this episode as well. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I don't know if this falls in that camp either, but you know, I see just as common as people that maybe overtrain would be people that over race. So Mm. I, you know, recently someone comes to mind who had four marathons in a six month period. Right. And so that's a good example of someone that just, we're not able to get the same quality out of her week to week sessions because there's so much recovery built in 
to those, you know, after the marathon, you have to recover and that sort of thing. Um, so it's just, it's, uh, that's fairly common too. So, you know, however you want to classify that, but I, but like you said, the, those long runs on the weekends, that's, that is taking up such a big chunk of that weekly mileage that we're just really not able to get those, uh, the training sessions in that we can for a long period of time, you know, a traditional marathon cycle would be 16 to 20 weeks. Um, and it's just, it, for this type of situation or even if you're doing like three marathons in a short period um, that can be really difficult to train smart and train wise yes yeah over racing is so so common i think that that's one of the most common things that i see with um, new athletes maybe not so much anymore since like COVID. i feel like after that happened maybe people are more selective in their races and i guess it depends Mm -hmm. on the person another one that i see quite frequently when we're talking about marathon training is the athlete who let's say in their build-up or their peak mileage for the marathon is going to be right around like 40 45 miles a week um i see like this push that the athlete always in their history they always had to run 20 milers always had to do 20 milers and that's more of a i think that's more of a thing like oh culturally we just see that's you know what you do when you're training for a marathon mm-hmm. but when you're really at 40 45 miles a week when you're doing a 20 mile long run that's 50 percent of your weekly mileage in one run and it is a huge stress on the body and so when we talk about like a, the progressive overload principle we want to make sure that we're doing enough where we're just stressing the body just enough that we can recover from it and then go stress it again, recover from it, that sort of thing. But when you're doing a huge stress, like a 20 mile long run, your body, yes, it will recover from it. It can recover from it. But the problem is that it can be detrimental to the next week of training and the following week of training. And it's a really big stress on the body. And I often think that people underestimate um, how stressful that 20 miler can be, especially if your mileage just really isn't there to support it. And I'm not saying, oh yeah, you shouldn't be doing long runs. What I'm saying is maybe the better alternative would be, you know, if you're running 45 miles a week, let's maybe get comfortable doing some 14, 15 mile long runs. And that can be really like the bread and butter. And then maybe once a month we jump up to like that 16 mark, maybe we jump up to the 18 mark, whatever. Um, and then we drop back down. We don't constantly have to build every single week. And I think that's where a lot of the traditional marathon training plans that I see on the internet kind of get things a little, a little skewed in my perspective. Yeah, forcing a 20 miler is fairly common. And I, you know, I've seen a lot of athletes who, you know, maybe they've done, they're comparing their training cycle to previous marathon mm-hmm. uh, builds. And so maybe they uh, didn't even hit 20 in a previous cycle. And this time they just really want to, or maybe they want to hit two or three. And so um, the focus is so much on this long run that it just like, it overlooks like the training as a whole and preparing for race day. Um, and so a lot of times, you know, how often is it that we, that we are able to follow a training plan to a T? Um, a lot of times we need adjustments, right? Like things come up, you might get sick or you're taking longer to recover. And so it's not always good to move forward with the plan 20 mile or whatever, or mm-hmm. maybe it's important to take a cutback week this week and then shift, you know, your long run schedule for the next few weeks at a time. So those are some of the ways that you can prevent overtraining and really listening to your body to make sure you're following that progressive overload principle. And like you said, it's all kind of about like the long-term approach. And um, I know we're going to talk about in a little bit, like how we can, um, you know, sort of cluster runs together, I guess, for like a um, immediate goal. But you have to ask yourself, like, what are you doing more service? Um, Are you doing yourself a disservice? Um, And I had a lot of athletes this last fall that had, it just seems like people were having a lot of things come up this last summer. I don't know if it was like um, the heat or what it was, but people were getting sick. And then that would just totally set Um, set their training plan uh, to be a little bit different than what we had intended and so I think those are those are just good examples of how you know if you make those adjustments you listen to your body you're more likely to um, have kind of fewer setbacks down the road absolutely and that kind of comes up with the next question that we were going to talk about is how do we know as a coach or as an athlete what the right amount of stress is and that's a really good point and I think 
oftentimes in this age of social media, Strava, um, sometimes we're looking for like external validation almost. Like we're looking, what is so-and-so doing? What is this person doing? What is this run coach that I follow doing? And I know it's really popular to share training on social media, but just because someone is doing it and they're a run coach or just because someone's doing it and they've ran the same marathon time as you doesn't mean that that's what you should be doing, right? So the right amount of stress for everyone is going to be different. And that's why it's really important to look at yourself and only yourself, look at your history and do not look at what other people are doing. Um, So following the principles of like, where have you been? Where do you want to go? And what is the next little mini step we need to do to get there? And so you really need to only be looking at your history. For example, I have someone on social media that I've interacted with um, a few times in the last couple of years, but um, it was, it's kind of a sad story. It was about, uh, I think two years ago now she was training for a marathon. She was in Minnesota and I just know that we had like, I think we were running like a 20 mile run on the same day and she was training for her first marathon. Um, I was training, it's just someone I happened to be following or she was following me, something like that. Um, so she did the 20 miler and she messaged me a few days later saying like her knee really hurt and like her coach wanted her to do this 20 miler, but like her knees just really are hurting and she doesn't know what to do. And so I recommended, you know, she take some time off. Like if she's having pain, go to PT. Um, long story short, after several interactions, she ended up just, she hasn't ran in two years. Um, she ended up having like knee, something going on with her knee, fluid building up in her knee. We kind of had some back and forth with it, but it was like a really, it was just a really sad story. Cause I was like, Whoa, it, cause I literally remember her doing the 20 miler. Like it popped up on my feed and I thought, wow, you know, she just does 20 miler. Like, well, that's awesome. But what we don't know is really like what's going on inside. And that's why it's really important to know what you're getting yourself into. And she, she was messaging me about like her training and maybe like asking me, do you think I need to be doing a 20 miler? This was after the fact. And I was like, well, have you ever, you know, like what sort of weekly mileage are you running? What blah, blah, blah. Like, tell me a little bit more about the situation. Cause I'm just an outsider. I'm blind. I don't really know who you are. Give me a little bit more information. Um, but the person I guess that she was using as a coach was just like, yeah, you need to do five 20 milers in, in building up for this marathon. And initially I was just like, wow, that's, that's really, <laughs> that's hard to listen to just from an outsider because knowing this person was hurt, knowing that she was told by someone to run several 20 milers, it, it's just tough. And so that's why it's really important to, if you ever have a question as to, a run that someone's prescribing for you or a question about a training plan to know why it's being prescribed. And so I would have pushed, hey, ask why. Why do I have to do this many? Do you think I'm ready to do this? And then see kind of like what the rationale is. And if someone can't really explain why the training plan is the way that it is, then that's when you know that's a red flag for me. Um, If someone has a reason, maybe this coach had a reason and it, it was scientifically backed, I don't know, but it didn't really seem like that person was ready for the 20 miler. Um, What often happens though, here's the great thing about the human body, right? We are extremely resilient. Our bodies are so, so strong and they want, our bodies want to keep us healthy. They want to rise up to the challenge, right? And so oftentimes, and this is almost an unfortunate beauty, right? People can overtrain and get away with it. So people can mm-hmm. do a 20 miler. They can they can still do the marathon. People can do these things, but not everyone can. And there is this risk versus reward component to things. And it's always better to mitigate risk as much as possible because there is not as much of a reward benefit as we think there is. You really want to do the least risky training that's going to give you the most possible benefit. And where those two things coincide, that's really where you want to be at. Um, And I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with, finding where that is. Yeah, it's definitely tough, um, you know, coming up with that right balance for each athlete. You know, you have to know yourself. Um, even as a coach, sometimes it takes a while to, you know, when you're working with an athlete to really understand, you know, what what they're able to handle. And so I always ask a lot of questions if it's like first time uh, doing a marathon cycle with an athlete, kind of trying to get them to tell me about their previous cycles, like what sort of workouts were they doing? What was their average mileage? Um, long run schedule, like what, how many, you know, longer runs did they do? That sort of thing. Um, just so I have a good idea and, um, you know, how do we know it's the right amount of stress? I would say, you know, that 
So if you're talking about just like a, a regular workout, I would say it's okay to feel like you finished the workout pretty tired. Maybe you could have done another rep or another few minutes at that pace. Maybe you're general, you have some general soreness for a day or two, but um, it shouldn't really impact your training or set you back after that. If it does, then you're probably, that was, that was too hard, right? So progressive overload is we want to recover. We want to be able to resume training without like a setback. This can be really tricky if you're an injury prone runner too. You know, there might be, um, we might have to just progress at a little bit slower pace um, or less intense in terms of pacing, that sort of thing. Yeah. And I'm really like a numbers person, right? So that's why I really like the apps that we use with mm-hmm. Training Peaks and Strava, right? And one of the great things about Training Peaks is when you connect your Garmin or any other um, watch, like a Cor- Coral's, is Coral's that even? Yeah, yeah. or Polar um, or whatever. Yeah, yep, you like GPS. connect it. It uploads everything historically 30 days back. Um, and then just sometimes even people will like download training piece because why would you not right and they they have it connected and then they do a trial with us and i can see back for like weeks months right and you can see okay this person's been doing an average of about this many miles because it's really Mm -hmm. a quick easy thing it totals everything at the end of the week and you can see these totals running down Um, another thing i like to do is go to someone's strava so if you go to someone's strava profile um i think it shows about 11 or 14 weeks the last 11 or 14 weeks of mileage and it's really this really cool little graph it's kind of like up down up down um you know if you are consistent or not sometimes it's just this really steady straight line and people are very consistent sometimes people it's like they have one great week one really low week And then I will pair that up with asking, like just a self-selected questionnaire we send out. We'll say, what is your average weekly mileage? So sometimes people will give a pretty big range. Sometimes it's really specific. We also, I think we ask like, what's your your highest, highest mileage week in the last six weeks? Something like that. So we try to get a gauge for what they think they've been running. Then we kind of look at the data and then we kind of put those two together. And that's really, we want to just get an assessment of like, what have you been doing? Because that's the most important thing. And I think there's two camps of people, right? There's people that can assess pretty well what they've been doing. And then there's people that don't really know. And sometimes people will overestimate what they've been doing. And oftentimes they underestimate. It just really depends on the person. But as a coach, you really need to make sure that the person that you are onboarding, they have not misassessed what they're doing for mileage. And that's why I do all this kind of like, digging right because i do not want to think oh they said 30 miles a week on their athlete question ear form let's start them at 33 miles a week or 30 you know what i mean and then oh they haven't ran 30 miles a week since their last marathon training cycle so i do i almost do like too much research because i'm like i really want to make sure we start on the right foot and that we're able to get you to where we need to go correctly. And so really doing your research, I pretty much take like the average of like, what have you been doing the last like five weeks? And then I will also look at, okay, but what were you doing the five weeks before that? And if it was like nothing, I might tone it down a notch. Cause I'm like, you went from doing nothing to doing 30 miles a week. We need to like find right. a balance here because it's eventually gonna catch up to you. Um, what I th- think I see more frequently is people who just have really inconsistent weeks. So mm-hmm. maybe one week they did 10 miles, another week they did 30, the next week they did 20, right. another week they did 40, and then 15 again. So I'm really just going to take like the average, right? So I'd probably start you somewhere kind of in the middle. Um, and I think that actually helps people a lot more with consistency because sometimes people have this idea in their head that, oh, I have to run 40 miles a week. And it's almost like it's too much and it's too right, much mentally, right. physically, emotionally, it's too much, all the things. But if you set the bar just a little bit lower and you're able to hit that bar consistently week after week, it's like you're you're adding up all these wins and it, it helps actually build um, your fitness and your confidence as an athlete. Yeah, really well said. Um, just the, the apps are very helpful. Training Peaks is nice. It's I do the same thing with, with the deep dive, trying to figure out you know exactly the mileage and all that. And when we talk about like workouts too, you know, it's, it's tricky because, you know, we're doing different types of workouts a lot of times, right? Mm-hmm. Like you might be doing some marathon pace work, some threshold, some, um, interval training, depending what their goals are and stuff. So how do we make sure that we're following a progressive overload if we're supposed to be sprinkling in these different workouts and, and touching these different sim- uh, systems, right? So a lot of times we'll look at, um, you know, that those previous few weeks, especially recent weeks and look at the weekly mileage. And then as long as you, you're starting off at like a consistent basis, um, I'll ask people like, have you done any workouts recently? That sort of thing. Cause a lot of times the first 
you know, example or stressor might just be like a, sh- a small fart lick or like a, you know, a mile tempo or two by one mile tempo, something like that. And so that will kind of see, and then we can see like how they recover from that, how do they execute. And then um, that sort of drives the decision for how we're going to um, adjust the plan the next week, that sort of thing. So that's kind of how we assess and figure out like, was this the right amount of stress or was it not enough or too much? Yeah, absolutely. I love how you pivoted to talking about the workouts, right? Um, So just kind of recapping with weekly mileage, when it comes to progressive overload, you're going to want to start right around what you have been doing. Maybe you add five to 10%. So if the last four to five weeks, your average weekly mileage was 30 miles a week average, and you're trying to progressively overload, we would maybe do like 32 miles the next week. Um, So, and we're not going to keep increasing to infinity. So maybe it's going to be 32 miles one week, then 34 miles, and then we're going to cut down because you have to have like a deloading week. Um, just so that the body can have that recovery period, stress plus rest equals growth. So maybe you cut down to 27, 26 miles, then we're going to pop it back up to like the 34, 35. Um, and that's really how you're going to build kind of into infinity. And when you do not into infinity, but the idea is that you want to be listening to what the athlete's telling you as feedback. As an athlete, you want to be listening to how your body is feeling. If all of a sudden you go from like nailing your workouts, feeling really good, sleeping really well, to not hitting your workouts, feeling really irritable, your legs feeling like lead all the time, nothing's really helping, um, you don't feel better on your deloading weeks, these sort of things, red flag. So maybe it's a little bit too much, right? Maybe we kind of jumped the gun. Maybe we need to go back and reassess. Maybe it needs to be closer to like 20, 26 miles a week, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Restart from there. But the more feedback you can give your coach and the more feedback you can give yourself really even like self-assessing, because a lot of this comes from the athlete. I mean, you have to be self-aware as an athlete to really be able to provide that feedback. So just asking yourself a series of questions like, how am I sleeping? How am I feeling? Um, those sort of things is, is really important. But I like how you pivoted to the workouts because that is really important, right? So the workout days um, are gonna be about 20% of your weekly mileage. And that doesn't sound like a lot, but it's actually really one of the most critical parts of training. Um, but just for example, you know, workouts can look so different from athlete to athlete. And this is why I think sometimes being on Strava, social media can be really tough because let's say you're, you're following someone who maybe they're training for a sub three hour marathon. They're doing some sort of key workout, like six by one mile at six minute pace. Um, so you're thinking you're, let's say from your perspective as a a newer runner, you go, wow, six by one mile. I want to do that workout. And then Maybe you translate, figure out your paces for that workout. It's about 10 minute pace. What we really need to look at is six by one mile at six minute pace and six by one mile at 10 minute pace are not the same workout. So six by one mile at six minute pace is 36 minutes of work. Six by one mile at 10 minute pace 10 minute pace is 60 minutes of work. Mm -hmm. That's almost double the volume. And so that's why I oftentimes like to give fartlek type workouts so that it's time-based. I don't want to always be throwing out, unless you're doing like a conversion in your head, right? it, it, you can't, it's not, it, you're comparing apples and oranges at that point. You really mm-hmm. need to make sure that the workouts are specific to the person that you are coaching and just being really aware of how workouts are going to be different, like depending on your paces, especially if you're prescribing stuff by like six by two mile <laughs> or three by two mile, right? Um, it, it's just a different workout depending on the pace you're running at that. Yeah, really well said. You know, that's why it's good not to always compare. Um, you know, I, I used to do this back when I think Instagram and Strava first came yep. out. Like I'd see people similar ability level to me and I'd see a workout they would do and I'd be like, oh, I want to go do that. But really, <laughs> I, I didn't progress up to that at the right rate. Um, I just sort of relied on like my talent and my, my background of running like in college and that sort of thing. And so um, if I could go back, you know, I would, I would definitely tell myself that. But, you know, the other thing with these workouts is um, the... Um, I lost my train of thought. Yeah. And come back to me here. Well, and I then, do have another point about this though. So just keep, keep talking. Yeah. Sure like the, 
we, we want to look at the historical training of mm -hmm. the athlete as well. So if the athlete doesn't have a lot of experience doing workouts, right, the six by one mile example that I was using, that's an extremely aggressive workout that I would not recommend doing unless you've really built the volume to be able right. to do that workout. Right. Um, if you're newer to workouts in general, I mean, even I was back when I was a serial marathoner, I just really didn't do a heck of a lot of structured workouts. So they were very right. intimidating for me. One of the first plans I purchased was probably in 20, 2014, right? Like from an online coach or something. And I remember one of the workouts being like five mile tempo run. And I was like, I literally can't do a five mile tempo run. Like it just felt so intimidating to me. Um, I think there was like five by one mile or six by one mile, something like that. And I ended up like with good intentions. I wanted to follow the plan, but at the end of the day, like I physically just wasn't at that level yet. Um, mm -hmm. Even though you know my race times were were there, and so the the person who created the plan was probably like, oh yeah, she could do this easy, and my mileage was there, but the workout experience was not there. And so if someone's newer to workouts or newer to marathon style workouts, so I obviously in the past I had done a lot of track workouts, shorter stuff, but I had never done something with that much volume at like threshold or like that much volume at steady state pace. So I think easing people in is incredibly important, right? So whenever I have a new athlete coming in that doesn't really have maybe like a ton of marathoning experience where they've worked with other coaches or they've done hard mm -hmm. workouts, um, maybe they've done a few track workouts, maybe they've done um, follow training plans in the past, but they weren't like super aggressive. I want to like start start off assuming okay let's start with like little mini workouts see what the feedback is and grow those workouts from there and so at the beginning of the training cycle oftentimes my athletes have like really what would be considered like short workouts right like a little mm -hmm. fartleks just to test the water start getting things going but over the course of the 16 weeks 20 weeks whatever we're building on those workouts like almost every day and so what not almost every day but like every week mm -hmm. right we're building 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 and then by the time we get to peak week maybe they're doing some something that some people would consider like oh that's a really big workout but the idea is that we have to progressively build there so maybe the first workout of the training cycle is six by two minutes at like right, between right. threshold and like 10k effort and then when we get to peak week, maybe we're doing like, I don't know, three by two mile at almost threshold pace. Exactly. And so like, those are like two wildly different workouts. One of them is like not even two miles of work. And then the other one is miles. six miles of work, oh, three by two miles. Yeah, I mean, two, so yeah. it's just a totally different beast <clears throat> and there's like way less rest, but the idea is that you progressively build to that. Yeah, that's exactly where my point was going to is about this, the workouts and uh, the progression another reason why i love training peaks because i can look back when i'm making an athlete's mm. plan i can look back at like what did i have them do and um you know sometimes you might progress the uh the pace where other times you know it might right. be the same set as you might have done a month or two or eight weeks ago um but the pace might be a little bit quicker now or that recovery might be a little bit shorter in between maybe it's the same pace as you did the same workout a while back but now you have shorter recovery um so you're just changing something slightly about the workout session um and then to just uh you know that six by one so that example <laughs> i was just saying that person definitely would work up to that so you know they'd probably start with like three by a mile um and then they move up to four over time and then five by one mile that sort of thing you might even do like four by uh, 1.25 miles could be like another uh, workout that sort of is a sequential step to getting towards a six by one. Definitely. Yeah. There's so many little like stepping stones to get there. And even if you're coming back from like an off season or something, maybe you're starting off with like paces that are way slower than what you ran during your regular training cycle. And you might be like, Whoa, like why did I lose fitness? But the fact of the matter is it's going to come back really quickly. We're just easing you back into things. Cause if we were to go like all in right away, sometimes you realize like, okay, maybe I was pushing a little bit too hard. Maybe my threshold workout turned into maybe like a, a little bit more of a race sort of situation. And so that's why we always encourage people to maybe listen a little bit more to their bodies and not try to hyper-focus on the pace because on any given day, our bodies are holding you know, different levels of stress. We got different amounts of sleep. We, our fueling could be slightly different from one day to the next. Um, there might be a tailwind, there might be a headwind, there might be a hill. And all of these things are going to impact the actual paces that we can hit in our workouts. And so if we can actually tune into what the feeling is of that threshold pace, so it's going to be something that's 
comfortably hard. You want to think of it as if you were racing an all-out race, um, like what is the pace that you would be holding for a one hour long race? And so that's going to depend on, you know, if you're somebody who's like a 64 minute half marathoner, well, it's probably going to be close to your half marathon pace. If you're someone that's covering maybe a 10K in an hour, then it's close to your 10K pace. And so the idea is when you're doing these threshold workouts, you want to envision how you would feel during a race of Mm -hmm. that distance of about an hour. And if you're feeling like you're working harder than that, or you're feeling like, wow, this is actually the effort I would be putting out in a 5k race, maybe backing off a little bit and slowing it down just a hair can actually help you get the benefits of the workout. It's better to, in my opinion, be a little bit under where threshold is than to, to go over for sure. Yeah, definitely. So it's, it'd be better, for example, to, you know, let's say you're supposed to run um, six minutes for your mile repeats. It'd mm-hmm. be better to slow down to 620 and be able to do all of them at that pace than it would be to run the first at six and the next one at 625, right. the third one at 638, and then so on. So that's, I like that example of, um, you know, slowing down the pace and um, just making that adjustment during the workout. The other thing is a coach too. If I see an athlete maybe bombs a workout or they struggle through a specific mm. workout, um, for whatever reason, you know, it could have been the weather and they just didn't feel good that day. I'll, a lot of times I'll make sure that the next workout is something that's very attainable because I want them to be able to execute uh, and feel good about the workouts. Cause you know, we've all been there where we don't do so good in a workout and how do we get back on track is we, we get a little bit of redemption. The next one goes a lot better and then we kind of get out of that funk. So if you're constantly, um, running these workouts and you're feeling like slow or you're struggling to get through them, I think it's it's good to change it up, and make make it a little bit more attainable. Maybe maybe just have like a progression run, something that you can you know you can go out and execute and nail it, and then you feel good about your effort. Definitely. And then going back to that initial question, is that how do we know what the right amount of stress is for an athlete? Well, when it comes to workouts, what I recommend doing, similar to what you do for weekly mileage, I would look at how many workouts has the athlete done in the last five weeks, right? So in a five-week period, maybe you've only done four workouts. Okay, well, I'm not going to assign more than one workout a week then because Mm -hmm. you even were doing less than that. So doing one every single week, that's a little bit more than what you were doing previously. Then I'm going to look at what was the volume of those workouts. So let's say you did eight by 400 meters. Okay, you did about would that be two and a half miles of work? Two one. miles. Two miles of work. Yep. Oh yeah. Two. Oh my gosh, math is hard. Um, let's say you did another one like two by two mile. Okay, uh, four miles of work, mm-hmm. and then we just kind of average. Okay, every week it looks like you've been doing about three miles of work average. Okay, so for the first workout I prescribed, maybe it's going to be right around three and a half, four miles worth of work. Maybe we'll do something like classic four by one miles, your first workout, or maybe we'll kind of spice it up, do something a little different. I don't know. Um, But we're going to pretty much start at almost what you've been doing, but like add a very small percentage. So again, we're adding like that five to 10%. So if you've been doing three miles of work, maybe three times a month. Okay. We're going to do four times a month. We're going to do three and a half um, miles a week of work. And then what you do is slowly over time, so maybe you do that the first week, maybe the second week, okay, we're gonna do four miles of work in your workout. Then on the next week, okay, maybe we're almost gonna do four and a half miles worth of work in your workout. Then maybe on that deloading week, like we talked about where we cut the mileage back, maybe we don't have any workouts, Mm -hmm. or maybe we do something where it's still right at that four, um, four mile mark, so maybe we're doing like a four mile tempo, maybe something a little less aggressive. So I would maybe prescribe more of like a progression run or a steady state, something that's not as stressful, just because we want that theme of the week to be recovery. Then when we jump back up in mileage, okay, well we left off at four and a half miles worth of work on our last like peak building week. Maybe we can jump up to five miles mm-hmm. of work in a workout. And then we start to have a different variable at play. So we go, whoa, five miles worth of work in a workout, that's a pretty, that's a lot. So maybe we're going to split that up into two separate workouts that week. So we're about a month in. Maybe we're doing two workouts a week now. Maybe one of them is going to be a shorter workout where you're doing two miles of work. And maybe the other one's a little bit longer workout. You're doing three miles of work. And so those two and three miles of work are nestled with a 
warm up with recovery in between with right. a cool down. And so a workout that has two miles worth of work could still be like an eight mile workout. You could do something like earlier where we were talking about the eight by 400. Right. Well, if you do a 400 recovery, recovery yep. well, that's at least four miles of work. Do a warm up of two miles, cool down of two miles. We're talking eight mile workout right there. Yeah. Um, and so when people say, oh, two miles of work, work, that's not a lot. But it's like, no, that can be a lot. And well, even the pace you're hitting too. Right. You know, if those are really fast with max. their 5K effort yep. or faster, that could be pretty taxing for some athletes if you're not used to that type of speed. Right. Yeah. And it's all about like how you nestle it in the plan. I think it's just really important to be cognizant of the volume of work that you're doing and the paces and the intensity, all of those things play into this progressive overload principle. And I think a lot of the times right. people get this wrong because they, they don't track it. Like who's, who really, honestly, most athletes aren't going to be like, Oh yeah, last week I did um, eight miles worth of workout work. I don't think right. people don't talk like that. They don't talk like that on social media. That's for nope. sure. But um, I know in my head, whenever I'm like doing runs, I always calculate it and make sure like I'm under that 20% um, threshold. But it is kind of difficult to calculate that mm -hmm. in your head. Most people aren't sitting there thinking, okay, I did eight by you know 800, and then I did three by up. Like they don't right. they don't think about it. But that's something you definitely should be thinking about, and that's something you should be progressing over time as well with your weekly mileage. Because again, you want it to be about that 20 20%. So if you are building your mileage, you're also able to maybe build, maybe you're building the workout volume with that mileage, or maybe you're you're building into more aggressive workouts, right? So maybe when athletes first start doing workouts, we do workouts that maybe aren't as intense, right? Mm -hmm. We talked about that example of the six by two minute at threshold pace. Um, that's really not a super taxing workout. It's more of like a theory like get your feet right. wet type of workout just to get the ball rolling the hope is that we could build that into a more sustained tempo run because that's going to be a little bit more right. taxing on the body it's going to elicit more of a stress response stress response mm -hmm. but again we have to progress it because if you just like dive straight into doing okay you're doing 20 minutes at threshold today go boom like it's, right. it's just too much mentally physically all the things yeah the six by two is a really good kind of baseline just to see how consistent are they across each rep um and then how quickly do they recover from the workout like are they you know what what sort of comments are they saying about their next few runs um, one other key indicator I'll look at is the recovery pace between certain like interval workouts yep. or, or workouts like that, just to see like, uh, was that pretty consistent or, you know, if I was doing, let's say I was doing like, um, just like a, yeah, just a part, like, like eight by two minutes or six by two minutes and the recovery started at like nine in between. And then by the last one, it was like 12 or 13. Well, there's a sign that maybe they were pushing it, you know, pretty hard and, and the workout got really difficult and they were needing to slow down. So um, yeah, I mean, there's so many ways you can assess the workout. I think the, the tricky thing is always, like you said, balancing that the volume increase with the intensity increase and making sure that, um, you know, if we're doing more than, if we're increasing one more than the other one week, then we're not increasing right. them both, you know, at the same rate or too much, that sort of thing. So. Right. Or if you're going to do like a massive jump, like I know we talked a little bit about that, that 20 mile or, you know, that whole situation earlier, yep. but you know, we do allow people to do 20 milers. Like if you're, if you're running 50 miles a week, cause I often get the comment on social media, whenever we post saying like, you don't need to do a 20 miler. Again, it's so unique to the individual because a lot of our athletes do end up doing 20 milers, but they maybe are running, you know, they're peaking close to 60 miles a week. And so someone who's maybe running 40 miles a week, I would probably not have them do a 20 miler, but we do have some coaches that, that will swing it. But what the coach is cognizant of is that week's extremely stressful. We're not going to be putting a workout four days later, probably. We're right. probably going to do, yep. okay, let's mitigate our like risk here. Let's do a bunch of easy runs before a bunch of easy runs after. And so you really want to be looking at the whole exactly. situation and not <clears throat> just being like, oh, yeah, here's 20. Like It's a really big deal. And so whenever we're putting something on the plan that's extremely stressful, we're pairing that with other changes. Um, one of the things that we have on our... Project 26.2, it's a free plan on our website. I think it peaks around, gosh, I don't even remember mm -hmm. now, 45 miles a week. I Probably. think it has a 19 mile long run. A lot of people point out like it doesn't follow this rule that we often talk about or guideline, I should say, 
where weekly mileage should like guideline be well your long run should be no more than 33 percent okay. of your total mileage or whatever and they're like that plan doesn't follow that and again we have to really mitigate our losses here so if you're someone who's starting a marathon training plan and you're only running 20 miles a week how are we there's really like no easy way to slice it right and so as a coach when you're developing a plan you have right. to look at all the variables involved there's no way that you can safely get from 20 to like 50 miles a week in one training cycle safely in my opinion right. um so what i kind of structured that plan is every other week we did a long run yep. and so there was more recovery than a typical plan that you might find on the internet. Um, and so there's just different ways you can structure things. And again, we tried to stay pretty close to the 33%. I think there was like maybe one or two weeks where it did jump up, but again, that's kind of the nature of the beast. But the idea is the progressive overload. So you start kind of at the 20 miles a week, you can see that it slowly builds. And so sometimes if you're curious to see like, what is an example of like, what is a progressive overload? I don't get it. Maybe like download that plan so you can maybe get an idea for what it is you can download any of our free pdf plans from our website because they really kind of showcase this and i think it is it is a little bit of common sense but i like people to mainly start the plan where they're at currently and i think that's the thing a lot of people will get wrong they download a plan online they haven't been running more than like 10 miles a week and they download the 30 mile per week plan to right. follow and that's that's really where a lot of people will get the jump wrong is you really want to start with kind of what you've been doing. Yeah, really well said. You know what? This is kind of why we have jobs and why we coach <laughs> runners. It's all so individual. Right. And, you know, and um, some runners, they do that every other week, sort of schedule. Other times, it's a two-week build with the third week being a cutback. Other runners that are maybe a little bit more experienced or durable who've done marathon cycle after cycle, they can get away with a three-week build. That fourth week is the cutback. And so... Um, you know, not only are we talking about long run uh, progression in terms of like the volume, but also then you can start to talk about like paces during the long run. On occasion, we can insert some marathon pace work um, or tempo work into those long runs. And again, that needs to be following a progressive overload as well. You know, we don't just want to throw in, oh, do five miles at marathon effort during your 15 mile long run if this is like your first time going over 13 miles, you know what I mean? Like that sort of thing. So right. if it's your longest run in a while, make it make it easy. Make sure that your body can handle it and adapt to and recover from it. And then, um, you know, after you've done a few longer runs or done a few marathon training cycles successfully, that's when you can start to experiment with pace work in those longer runs. Definitely, really well said. Um, diving into the next point that we wanted to cover on this podcast is all about why people do not like doing less. And so you might be listening to this and be like, yeah, that's cute. That's cute for them, but not for me, right? Or, yeah, I get what you're saying, but I'm still going to do more just because a lot of runners are that type A personality and you just it's just like a vibe, right? Some people, they want to push the envelope. Um, the comparison trap can be pretty strong as well. Like you see other people getting away with doing certain things and you really want to push the envelope. You want to see like how much can I physically do maybe before my body breaks, maybe before, you know, things start going haywire. But I will share with you my unfortunate story, right? So I have never, I've never, knock on wood, I've never had a stress fracture. I've never really had like a very serious running related injury and I've been running for a decade and a half, right? So about seven years ago was the first time we hired a new coach here at Run for PRs. Prior to that, it was just me, and I was, you know, coaching coaching people, which it's it's actually funny thinking back because it's like you learn so much, right? But anyways, we hired Ben Jacobs. Um, at the time, he was like a sixty-eight minute half marathoner. He was coaching to a ton of people, and in the interview process, I remember him being like, "Man, you're you're running a lot of miles, Victoria." And I was like, "Well, yeah, because like I want to be fast, right? Like, so I." I have to be training like this or whatever um and i think at the time my half pr was like 129 or something and my marathon times that year were all like in the the 320s which which is great right i'm not like hating on myself but he was like you're you're doing a lot and i was like what do you mean and so basically the feedback that he provided for me during an interview was that like you're doing too much um you sh you would actually probably benefit from doing less um, just based on like we were talking about my training as an example and I basically said yeah I had my worst year of running like what would you what would you recommend for my training I just wanted to hear what he had to say um, I really like the straightforward feedback that he gave me and I was like okay maybe I'll try it right so 
long story short, got pregnant, didn't have a chance to try it. But then like a year and a half later, I was like, all right, I'll just, I'll do less, right? Like I'll right. do what you recommend. And then all of a sudden it's like, I started having like my biggest breakthrough years of running um, by doing less. But I think I was a little bit stubborn for several years thinking, okay, I've made so much progress in the beginning stages of running, doing more, doing more, doing more. And then mm -hmm. I got to this point where I was like, okay, I want to reach the next level. I'm just going to keep doing more, doing more, doing more. And it stopped working. And so I was so priding myself on like, no, you don't understand. Like I have to, I have to run this much in order to, you know, get faster in order to run these sort of times. But in reality, uh, once you kind of open your mind to, hey, maybe there's a better way, maybe there's a way where you could actually improve instead of running yourself into the ground. And I was like getting curious about it instead of like shunning it away, then, oh, doors are open. I was able to, you know, over time, get down to 119 half marathon, 301 marathon um, at the time of recording this. But anywho, the reason that I share that with you is because I didn't want to do less. <laughs> and I think the idea of doing less is just like, not appealing to a lot of people because we think doing less isn't going to make you better, but it does. Because if your body's actually able to recover from mm -hmm. things and you're able to train in a way that allows you to do the workouts that you need to do and to hit the paces that you need to hit in workouts, you actually are able to improve. And what I was doing in the past, I thought, you know, I was doing everything right according to, you know, the quotations. I was still running easy, but it wasn't easy enough. Like, so you go to Jack Daniels, it was telling me I was running my easy pace. Wasn't easy enough, right? Um, just wasn't, the workouts weren't hard enough, right? There was just so many things going on, but I think the number one thing you need to look at is, hey, maybe I am doing too much, and in what areas am I doing too much? So maybe it wasn't the mileage altogether that was too much, maybe it was the Oh, I was doing too much because I was running my easy runs too fast and my legs were so fatigued I couldn't actually do my workouts to the best of my ability. That sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, that's a r really good example. And, you know, thinking about how we kicked off this podcast talking about overtraining, um, you know, so if there are a group of people that fall in that camp, that would be one thing to, you know, one change that we could try to, to elicit an improvement over time, right? And so, using right. you as an example like down the road how did that impact your training like five six years later i mean you want to talk about that because because you slowed down you did right. a little bit less you saw a little bit of improvement but then you continued to see improvements later because your training you were right. able to kind of um tweak things and add well i was able to things. progress again right when that's the interesting part so it's like basically he was like yeah just run less mileage and i was like whatever so i basically kind of did that you know i dropped my mileage by about 25 percent and then I started realizing, oh, like, yeah, I can, I can actually hit, you know, workouts consistently mm -hmm. over time. And so that was one piece that I guess I was missing is really consistently doing hard workouts. Then the next piece I think that kind of came was really, really, really slowing down on my easy days. And I was like, okay, once I can do that puzzle piece, okay, now I can actually increase my mileage. So I'm, I'm running almost the same mileage that I was when I first hired him. And he said, Hey, you're running too much, right? Um, but now it's like I'm doing it in the appropriate manner. And so when I say, you know, do less, it's more of like just do less temporarily and see how, right. oh, okay, am I now, am I improving? Because the problem is a lot of people come to us and they're like, oh, yeah, like I just, I ran my worst marriage, or I, I'm getting slower, or like I've been stuck at 345, I've been stuck at 145, I've been stuck at four hours, I can't break the barrier. And we're like, okay, like what have you been doing? And if you've been saying like, I've been training really hard. Like I do, I'm so consistent, all these things. Sometimes it's just, it takes a matter of time to have that breakthrough. But other times it's like, oh, maybe you, we need to tweak some things because maybe you are trying to progress too much. Maybe you're doing too much. Maybe if you just do a little bit less and we focus on a little bit more quality, then we're going to be able to bump you up and you're going to start to be able to progress your load again and actually see improvements. Because I think what was happening as I was trying to skip steps or I thought I was beyond where I actually was. Like my self-assessment was, was skewed, right? Like I shouldn't have been running maybe that many miles. Like if I just mm -hmm. cut it down just like a little bit and these weren't like massive mistakes. They were just like, just a little bit, just shave it off a little right. bit. And those tweaks can be the thing that like make or break your training. Yeah. Those changes can definitely, um, you know, elicit a, a breakthrough. Right. And 
um, another example would be like doing less. So taking myself, for example, like if I'm getting back to into a certain training and mm. I want to get serious again, like I am going to be doing a lot less than maybe I did years prior just because I haven't been like super consistent. So yep. you may be someone that's like wanting to do more because you did more at your marathon you ran three years ago, but because, um, you know, seasons of life happen and you just weren't that consistent. A lot of times we're just going to have you just doing more than what you were doing the previous year. We don't need to do as much as you did three years ago. And you're going to actually improve mm-hmm. at a faster rate than if we were to just like start hammering workouts and mileage. So um, not only that, but we're going to keep you hopefully consistent and engaged so that you can kind of continue once you get through your event. Hopefully you, that's a good springboard into uh, continuing on for, you know, um, or a you know, continuing on to setting a new goal that's going to only continue getting back to where you want to be, so. Right, definitely. And I think just living in the culture that we live in of glorifying the hustle, like people, I mean, I don't know if it's like this anymore because I I don't really work in corporate America anymore, but back when I had my first corporate job, like I wanted to become a CPA, you know, I worked at a tax place during busy season, people were like, I work a hundred hours a week and it's amazing. And like, I well, woe to me. And that was really the culture of like, I get, I get in at 5am. I'm not leaving until 10pm. And I kind of, my eyes were opened of like, whoa, this is really a thing. And, um, you know, some workplaces obviously aren't like that, but I think in America, we do have the tendency to glorify like overworking, mm-hmm. hustling, that sort of thing. When in reality, like the best approach is something a little bit more balanced. And so that equation that's, what is it, Steve Magnus always says is like stress plus rest equals growth. And you really do have to have that rest and recovery. And I, I actually remember someone at, at the tax place that I worked at like over a decade ago. They said that beyond a certain amount of hours per week, you actually get like less productive. And so it didn't really make sense to work. I think it was more than like 60 or something like that. But despite like knowing that, and despite like there being research out there, people still do it. And I think a lot of that just boils down to maybe wanting to be accepted, maybe wanting to show your dedication. Mm -hmm. And I totally get that. And I think that's part of why maybe I got caught up in that trap is just being like, well, I'm really dedicated. And I kind of wore that as like a badge of honor, but we could shift that mentality into being dedicated to our training, but understanding it's like the yin and the yang, you have to have the rest component and you have to be as disciplined about your rest and recovery as you do the training in order to make progress. We can't always be glorifying the hustle and not also glorify that recovery rest and taking care of yourself piece. Yeah. Um, really well said, you know, I know one of the last points of this podcast was talking about, can you still improve by doing more than you should, right? So you talk about like going the extra mile or working that much, but you know, it it got me thinking like back in college, we'd always kind of end the season or get, as we got towards the end of the season, we'd do this workout like 20 by 400s and it's nothing that we really worked up to. Like we were doing maybe like six by one K and stuff like that. But, um, all of a sudden we just like, we got hammered with speed at the end of the year. And it was like right before the championship season. Right. And, um, so that's an example of like, did, we did a little bit maybe more than we should have that, that particular workout, but afterwards we rested like crazy. And our coach mm. really did that for more of like a mental reason. Like he wanted us to, he wanted us to do something we didn't think we were even capable of doing. Um, and especially for like the younger, uh, you know, like the freshmen that hadn't done that workout before, you know, that was just a, it was just like a, um, something that you did to, you know, prove to yourself like, oh, I can do hard things. Right. And so, mm. um, there are times in training where you have to sort of cram in order to like try to you know get this workout in or maybe have a week or two of solid training before your race um or maybe you know you had a setback so now and now that you're running again oh you have the race coming up on this date so there are times where we maybe do a little bit more than you should it's kind of like when you said uh the the marathon training plan you were talking about that how got up to 19 miles you know it is on occasion but it's it's something that if you if you do sparingly, I think that's better off for your long-term success. You know, you can't consistently do that or you're gonna end up feeling burnt out, injured, you know, not liking what you're doing anymore. So um, that's kind of my take on, <laughs> can you do more, can you still improve if you do more than you should? On occasion, it might be okay to toe that line and over, overstep it, dig into the well, but then you need to really make sure that you are 
recovering and taking care of yourself. Yeah. I mean, what's interesting about that, you, you mentioned how it was just like one workout and sometimes we do it for like one long run or yeah. sometimes if you're building up for like a 50 or a hundred mile or we do like one ultra marathon in the buildup. Mm-hmm. But what all of those things have in common is it's just one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, doing more than you should. So this is like on, it, on a consistent basis. If you like, if you're doing it consistently week after week, you know, the interesting thing about training and running the human body is that you might actually improve like the first, maybe like, I don't know, couple weeks, month. Mm-hmm. But then what's going to happen is all of that stress is like loaded, 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 loading, 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 and it's just stressing your body. It's so much stress on your body and you're not able to have any other rest and recovery. You can't actually improve. And so you're going to see a downturn. And so, yeah, you might be like really, really fit when the downturn happens and you're still training. And so you're still keeping pretty fit. But you're going to notice like this decline in your fitness just because it's too much stress, too much stress. It's just going to wear you down slowly, slowly over time. And that's why I think there's a problem with this in in general, like in athletics, because you would actually see an improvement for a slight period of time, right? Like, mm-hmm. like you said, you did that crazy workout right before conference and then, oh, yeah, it was so great. We improved. And even like before a marathon, you might that peak week i mean you're you're riding that line you're so close to overtraining and then it's like boom you have like a stellar performance right on on your marathon and that's where i think it gets tempting is like all of a sudden you do a little bit more you're feeling really good you have like these great performances and then you're like yeah i need to keep doing this and then two months later you're like injured or need surgery i don't know um (laughs) but i've seen it happen so many times just playing out like on social media, on Strava, um, just with people, you know, you see come and go over the years. But it's really tough because it's, it almost tricks you. And so I think being aware of that and knowing that that can be the case can actually empower you because you can actually know, oh, hey, I actually think this is a thing that's going on. And I bet in a couple of weeks, if I keep this up, I'm actually going to start seeing that downturn. Um and the downturn is also, it can be a really slow process. And so it's really hard for people to like register that as coming from overtraining, right? It's it's just like such a um, a mess. But this was really useful, I think, for people who are wondering, like, how much should I be doing going into the new year? We talked a lot about running the certain amount of miles that you need personally to see that improvement progress over time. We talked a lot lot about the long run distance. We talked about workouts and how to increase those. And so the ideas that you want to do the least amount of risk possible, but enough where you're still getting a stress response from your body that you are able to recover from and still consistently train. And for a lot of people, that's like, whoa, that's a lot. A lot to think about, a lot to do. But that's something that working with a run coach, they can all do that for you. And you can just focus on doing the training, the part that you really enjoy as a runner and an athlete. So if that's something you're interested in, is just talking with a coach, seeing what a coach has to offer, you can fill out the form at www.runforprs.com and we can get you connected with someone, get you set up on a phone call. We can chat about your background, really get to know you and see where you fall on this progressive overload line and then start that progressive overload with you, that journey, and hopefully get you to your goals later this year. So again, filling out the form at www.runforprs.com. Thanks for tuning in.